0: to my podcast, Esteemed Women. It used to be called silence and then it became innovation. And finally, women are now more empowered than ever to use their voices to express what it's really like to strive and thrive in what tends to be a very imbalanced and unequal world. I'm sure it hasn't been easy, but these women have achieved and accomplished. They truly are esteemed women who have chosen careers in science, technology and innovation. They are typically go-getters, alpha females, hardworking, maybe a little bit perfectionistic, but on the whole, they've applied their talents and skills to really make a difference. That was certainly my intention when working as a mechanical engineer and fluid dynamicist. In these episodes, you'll get a chance to hear about some fascinating innovations, but you're also likely to be inspired and uplifted by the personal stories and experiences of my fascinating guests. So let's hear it from my STEM sister and incredibly talented, esteemed woman, Abigail Berhane an aerodynamicist at the University of Cambridge.
1: My name is Abigail Behain and I'm a third year PhD student at the University of Cambridge Little Laboratory studying the effects of surface roughness on turbine blade aerodynamics.
2: Whoa, like that sounds so impressive. <laughs> I, I have so many questions um, and I don't even know where to begin because I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. We met at the Whittle Laboratory when um, a bunch of us were given a tour around that incredible lab Yeah, um, and uh, Rob Miller, Professor Rob Miller, was talking about this incredible PhD research that was um, describing surface roughness um a, airplane blades yeah yes turbine turbine blades yeah and I was like that sounds incredible and then when he described the person that was doing the research I was like I definitely want to meet her (laughs) so tell me about your research um I guess my specific question is what exactly is your research
1: well, um, a third of the loss in an aero engine turbine comes from the aerodynamic friction that takes place between the blade surface and fluid. Uh, this is also known as the skin friction. And while the skin friction is um, really influenced by the surface roughness, but how the surface roughness affects the skin friction is unknown. And because um, surfaces present in turbine blades um, can be really non-uniform as in the roughness is really non-uniform it's it's random a lot of the time and doesn't have any sort of repeating obviously obviously repeating patterns um, it's actually quite hard to measure it and to get statistical quantities out of that surface so what I'm trying to do is um, actually relate relate any surface that can be present in a, in a turbine blade um, to a given loss. And while this is actually really important, not just for um, current designs, um, but also for the um, manufacturing of, of new designs and implementation of new materials. So, so, yeah. I mean, it just sounds so crucial.
2: And I think ultimately your research is going to make turbines more efficient
1: right well hopefully i think it will just be a guide so um perhaps it, what the end result will look like i'm, I'm so unsure but um hopefully it will be a guide for um for turbine designers um and um, aerodynamicists to just understand how how roughness can affect um the turbine performance and when it's important to polish the blades, um, or when it's important to say or, or or what um tolerances should be set. It could it could potentially assist with with those sorts of things. So
2: will that affect how the blades are cleaned? I mean, or is this a weather thing? So if there's like if it's colder weather, there'll be more ice. I mean in in everyday speak you know how will your research change things
1: hmm. well i think that um as soon as you've sort of taken an aircraft um off the ground and into the air as soon as an, an engine's been used um the surface of of the blade will change from from when it's newly manufactured and that's given that's a given i mean um especially in the turbine you can just imagine that you have really hot air and also air, hot air and fuel mi- mixture coming out of the combustor into the turbine and that will definitely um, have an effect on it. But also thinking about dust, um, volcanic ash, depending on where the, the aircraft is being flown. So um, yeah, the surface will be very different. Um, so I guess, you know, it's not just understanding what aspect of roughness is important but being able to characterize different um different blades and say okay well flying under this condition will give you this type of surface would also be important because um, it is quite difficult to stop every aircraft from flying just to check check the blades but how on earth
2: did you get into this because you don't strike me as Looking like the stereotype, which I hate the fact that stereotypes exist, but yeah, <laughs>
1: um, I would. Well, I mean, I think I was also always really interested in in physics um, and also in com- in computing. Um, and while I was at school, I actually um, took part in this program called Career Ready. <clears throat> I think at the time it was called Career First. And basically, it just gives um, school kids an opportunity to to take a look into a field that they would they would be interested in pursuing. And for me at the time, that was engineering. So I had a mentor, and um, he was an engineer, and he was able to, to set me up with um, a few internships. And one of them was actually at Arup. Um, and, and yeah, I just remember being in school and... Um, like having to write a CFD code and being both really scared but excited by it all. Um, and it was just such a massive achievement, even though it was just um, a 2D, 2D solver, steady flow solver. Um, and a lot of it was just sort of copying from a manual, but it, it was still a massive achievement and really made me realise not only was it engineering that I wanted to do, but it was also aerodynamics that I was fundamentally interested in. So, so yeah, that's basically where it all started for me. I
2: must say um, you have this look uh, that's very, uh, it's really trending right now, which is, (laughs) you seem to be, um, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint where you're from which I think is just so, uh, it's so interesting. Yeah. And, um, you kind of have this look where, if you don't mind me saying, like, you could be like a movie star or a <laughs> Thank you. How, how does someone like you sort of, um, with what you look like on the exterior, um, stay focused on something as, tough as engineering?
1: Mm, I would say that it's definitely um, my environment that helps and um, actually being part of the Whittle Lab is just really great like everyone's super encouraging and really nice and there's just this massive sense of okay like let's all help each other and we you know um I don't know if like Rob's spoken to you about the the famous coffee table but we have this this coffee table in the Whittle Lab that everyone like sits around for for tea time and people just like talk about their ideas and stuff and like it's just hard to not be inspired and whilst being in such an inspiring um place and like I definitely do get what you mean about you know right now of like social social media being like a massive thing and like there seems to be all these like different different ways of um I don't know form, forming a career for yourself it's like how do you stay focused but I guess fun, fundamentally like what I'm doing and what my research um, will do is actually contribute to to solving part of a fundamental fluid mechanics problem, which is um, flow over rough surfaces, which to just be a part of would be, would be amazing. So I definitely wouldn't want to miss out on that opportunity. Yeah. And you're quite advanced in your PhD now, three years in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in my third year. So yeah, almost three years in, which is and
2: how long do you reckon before you're done?
1: Oh, <laughs> that's a tough question. Um, Hopefully, I mean, including writing up and everything, hopefully at some point in 2024, I'll be done. And yeah. And then what do you hope for next? Um, that's a good question. I mean, um, I am tempted by the idea of, of staying in research, but I also do really like, um, like the bigger picture, and I think after spending so much time focusing on the details, um, and having a really good time doing that as well, I think I'm also ready to to look at the bigger picture, and also something that I've been involved um involved with a lot at the Whittle um is actually outreach work. So um, so like designing workshops and leading workshops for um, school children to come in and um, do something fun. So we were we actually did an aero engine design, test and build project, design, build and test project with um, some year 10 kids and they had a really, really good time doing it. So I think that, you know, um, having a passion for communicating um, and even within research, having a passion for communicating my research outcomes um, actually has made me think that maybe I would want um, a career in science communication or, or something like that would be really fulfilling um, to me. But uh, it still is early days and I'm still not done. So, so we'll see how that goes.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're really casting my mind back to um, when I was doing my doctorate. And I love the fact that you uh, get such a kick out of contributing to the body of knowledge, um, which, you know, doctorate research does and master's research. But there's something about doing a Ph.D. which is just so intense and, you know, you really put years into it and. Um, and I love the fact that you uh value doing that so highly. Um, but I also love the fact that you want to share your knowledge with others and you you just by existing, you're so ex- inspiring. Um okay. and I just yeah. you know, I just think that you're on a really interesting path. And I kind of I'm gonna be watching what you do because it's just really It's it's nice seeing someone so focused, but also um, someone that is not kind of because it can be quite easy to crawl into a CFD, um, not CFD, a PhD cave. Yeah, Um, and it's good that you're aware not to do that. Um, Yeah, that's pretty awesome. What were the steps that you had to take to get to this point? Because, I mean, it is so impressive to be at Cambridge. So, like, was it a difficult journey?
1: Um, So I actually, I did my undergraduate at Sussex in mechanical engineering. Um, And while I was doing my undergraduate, uh, I was really interested in turbo machinery and in um, fluid Fluid mechanics. Um, so I, well, I actually ended up doing like my um, my dissertation um, on turbochargers and um, a, sorry, a recirculating casing treatment for um, for turbochargers, which is basically a ported shroud. And um, my supervisor at the time. Um, for that project he actually um did his PhD at the Whittle lab as well and kept telling me all these amazing things about his time at the Whittle and how he really loved it and how he was able to do like such great research and about the great minds at the Whittle and the facilities and um I literally thought wow like this sounds amazing like I'm loving my projects now and I would love to just be able to do this all the time, instead of having to do structures as well and this and that, like I just wanted to focus on it. So um, I was just looking at, you know, different postgraduate um, courses um, in either in CFD or in something turbine machinery related, and I saw the um, CDT for. At the time, it was called Gas Turbine Aerodynamics when I applied, but I was actually the first year of the future um, propulsion and power and I saw an advert for the um, CDT in future propulsion and power and a CDT is basically um, short for a centre for doctoral training so that includes an EMRA so a research master's um, and then a PhD and I thought wow this is great because if I was to apply straight for a PhD I would have felt a bit intimidated and like that would be a massive change but having the master's in between was really good because it because I was able to sort of get a feel for what research at the Whittle would would look like and what you know what level is is required um as well as take modules which actually focus on um, turbine machinery and aerodynamics and um, heat transfer so it was a really really fun year doing the MRes and um, also having that cohort feel is really great because doing a PhD can be really isolating um, because it's just you and your problem but having a cohort of people that you started with And just being able to check in on each other and see how everyone's research is progressing and and how they're doing is is really nice, actually. So, um, so yeah. And then once I applied, um, I got an interview and then um, just started. So, yeah. Were you a straight A student? Um, In school? Yeah. Yeah, more or less. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Um I'm
2: assuming that um a lot of your colleagues and people in your cohort don't look like you. Is that a fair assumption?
1: Um yes. Yeah. Um so in terms of like how many the ratio of of um guys to girls in my in my cohort, well there's Five of us, and there's um, three guys and two girls. So, okay. as in that, if we're like talking about percentages, it's actually not not too bad. It's quite uh, for for engineering, um, but in terms of the the whole lab, I can't give you an exact number, but I do know we are we are really outnumbered um, when it comes to the the girl to guy ratio but um i am the only black person in my lab um and um so yeah so in 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 that sense um i definitely uh am a minority yeah. so as a minority um does it
2: are you like aware of it like does it ever crop up as being like a an issue in any way negative or otherwise um and how do you even need to deal with it um
1: so I think I think it would be like a, a massive lie if I said that it's never been an issue um I would just say that some environments are worse for it than others and I'm lucky to be in an in an environment where uh everyone seems to be like quite aware and I don't know if that's because um there's there's a lot of PhD students and there's a lot of you know students doing their fourth year project so the majority of of people um in the lab um are really aware of these issues as well because there's been a lot of education around it in the, in the recent years and I think just um, in general, there's been like a shift in the universities' in- incentive when it comes to um, to like exclusion of-, of minorities and and certain things like that. So I think that people are becoming more aware and aware of of the difficulties. Um, so there-, there is like a sensitivity to it amongst everyone. So I've I've not really had problems um, with actual like members in my lab, but a lot of the time it comes from like external, um, external factors. Uh, so yeah. So how do you deal with it? Um, I think that for me, the best thing has been having an ally. So I have, um, a really, a, a couple of close friends of mine in the lab who have been really great allies. Um, For me and I've been lucky in that sense that I've been able to have that so a lot of the time when things are happening if I don't say anything they would say something on my behalf or like or like express like that this is just really not on um so having that has been really helpful because I think as well it takes away a lot of like the load from from yourself which can be really hard to deal with and also a lot of like doubting yourself and doubting if these things are actually happening or if you're just like overthinking it or or feeling it because of an imposter syndrome which I think does happen because sometimes you do get told that oh it's just and it's just your imposter syndrome like it's not actually like a real thing but um having other people to actually say like this is not this is not okay is is really helpful Mm, that
2: really makes sense yeah Yeah, again, like I'm just thinking about um, my past situation and um, I didn't have the courage to actually get allies. Yeah. And so I kind of um, got into a headspace of like, it's me against the world. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I can really see how having allies, now that I'm older and, you know, allies have come into my world without me even asking for it and mm-hmm. I can really relate to how important allies are I like the word allies actually yeah yeah it's fun to say because sometimes you know you hear of allies as being like mentors yeah or like teachers or family or friends or you know but really it can be all of those people but yeah they're allies at the end of the day so that's um you know you're a straight a student you're absolutely beautiful um you know you're you're like almost done with your phd from cambridge like <laughs> got like all these amazing things go going for you why would someone like you ever have imposter syndrome or self-doubt
1: Um, I think that like, I think at the end of the day, like when you're doing a PhD, um, and as as I'm sure you're like really familiar with, it is really just like your own battle. And, um, sometimes it's also a battle where you have to, or it's, it's a race where you actually have to put the flag, flag up yourself and say, this is where I want to end. But the problem is so massive and it's like, when is, when is enough enough? Like, when have I done enough? When have I contributed a good enough amount? When have I, you know, done enough to solve this problem? So being able to, like, to, to know that would really help. But I guess unless you have that down, you just feel like, I have I done enough? And you're, you're constantly thinking there's more that I can do. Uh, so I think that, like, feeling like you haven't solved enough of the problem um is, is part of it and also um I think that like it's just it's just that once you've started something so before I got before I started at Cambridge I saw that like me getting into Cambridge was a massive achievement and I was so excited, so happy. But then once I got here, um, I realized that actually I might have gone to the top of one ladder, but now there's like another ladder there and I'm right at the bottom. And then it's like constantly like trying to to reach new goals and like um, establish and define new goals and then like trying to get there. So I think that there's always going to be like that feeling, especially if you're really passionate about something and you're really, um, you really care about your project and you're really emotionally attached to it. You want to do the best that you can. Um, and I think that, that you'll always feel like there's a lot more to do and hence feel like an imposter sometimes. So,
2: I totally understand what you're saying. And when I'm asking these questions, I, I, I'm asking them not because I don't know the answers, because I, I really get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, uh, but my audience might be going, why are you doing this to yourself? Like, yeah. why Why are you doing something so hard? You, know, you could be, you know, doing things that are way less technically challenging um require less um sort of hardcore investment you know right. um, and i've been asked that in my past as well i would love to hear your answer to that
1: um i think that That would be quite like an an ignorant thing to think because um, everyone, I guess everyone's different. Everyone finds different things exciting and interesting. For me, I like to be to be challenged. I want, you know, I like to try try coding something and then when it doesn't work and then it finally is not throwing errors at me and it's, and it's running smoothly. Like to me, that's really satisfying and that makes me happy. Um, and also when I've spent so long trying to get data and the data doesn't fit and then finally it does fit or I, I understand why it wasn't fitting the way I thought it would. Again, that's really satisfying. And I think that like, I've just spent so much of my, of my life already Building the building, um, my knowledge and my fa- my foundation. So I've I've spent a lot of time like in, investing in my like education and my um, academic um, career, and so um, I find that really interesting. And um, although it is challenging, because I spent so long doing it, and in a way, when you do an engineering degree, you're trained to think in a certain way. So for me um being able to to use these skills is like really satisfying I get it
2: I really get it yeah some people have said to me you've got you know you've got a PhD why are you now going into media like right all of that technical expertise why are you throwing it all away you know for media um and and the fact that you maybe want to go into science communication one day, like what would you say if someone asked you something similar?
1: Um, I would say that it's not throwing it away, and it's actually the context that you have from doing that PhD, which allows you to be so good at be so good at communicating um, other people's research and and being able to in a way, dilute it so that it's, like, understandable and fun for everyone um, to know about. When you're doing a PhD, the skills that you get is not just being able to, like, write code or being able to, like, set up certain types of experiments. Um, Other skills that you get is being able to communicate your research clearly when you write papers, when you speak at conferences. If you don't communicate your research clearly, it's just... bit of a shame because you've spent all this time doing such amazing work and then people don't get to enjoy it as much um and i think that having that skill is is great and it's so useful um and it definitely was it definitely is your phd which allows you to do such a great job at this so i would say it's it's not throwing it away at, at all oh thank you for that Um,
2: <laughs> you know talking to you i get a real sense that you are so um passionate about contributing to the body of knowledge um from a fluid mechanics um perspective and um it's such a beautiful thing to be able to do that right um but is that the only thing that's driving you like what else is driving you to keep going with this?
1: Um, with, the, with the PhD or with my passion in general to just... With the course that you're taking, like with
2: the path that you're taking, like, you know, I get that you are dr- you're really interested and passionate about your research and that's driving you. But like, is there anything else that's like spurring you on?
1: Mm, I think it's, I think there's a lot of different, um, different things. So I think, you know, like, growing up, um, I really loved watching um, Professor Brian Cox on TV. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. And, you know, watching his lectures, and I thought, wow, like, I would love to be able to do that one day, I would love to be able to, to give a lecture on a topic, which is so difficult. But make it um, so accessible without make without you know dumbing it down too much um, enough for a fourteen year old girl to enjoy it, and that that was me at the time. Um, so for me, it, it's you know saying okay, well, what are the steps? What did what did Brian, Professor Brian Cox do to get to where he he um, was? Well, he did a PhD. So. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, if I get my PhD, maybe I could be like him one day. Um, but also, you know, I was all, always really interested in, um, you know, the show with Richard Ayawade, Gadget Man as mm-hmm. well. And I thought, well, oh, what if I could be Gadget Woman? Um, and, you know, I I also really loved um, watching Top Gear. And I said, what if I could, you know, um, be a presenter on Top Top Gear one day? <laughs> Um and um, you know, it's just all these things which really inspire me. But also I think another thing um that keeps me going is actually like me not wanting to disappoint myself. And I would be lying if that there- I said there weren't times where I was just like, I I've had enough, I don't want to do this anymore. Because there has been moments where I felt that way because it is just really hard and it sometimes feels like you take one step forward two steps back um especially with with doing experiments um and CFD as well actually um but I just thought to myself like you've worked this hard and it would just be such a shame if people didn't call you doctor at the end of it so uh, that's what keeps me going as well
2: yeah no I I totally relate um What do your parents think of um, what you're doing? You must be so proud.
1: Yeah, they are. Um, Yeah, like my parents are really proud of me um, and they're they're also happy. Um, So like my dad actually um, has a PhD as well. Um, So so he got his PhD in, I'm going to get this wrong, I I think it's in pharmacology from um, the University of London. So like Growing up, I always knew what a PhD was. So I kind of had that advantage of, of knowing that oh, a PhD is where you get to contribute to research. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's always, you know, been um, key and also inspired me to, to do research. So, yeah, it's been, been great having that um, role model
2: yeah no I can totally see the 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 brains <laughs> in the family uh, so uh this may be kind of like a question you don't want to answer and it may even be too early in your whole um life development to <clears throat> sort of answer as well but like as a woman um there are many aspects to us um there's not just career but there's also sort of like maybe being a mum one day uh that kind of thing like do you ever think about how you fit it all in um
1: yeah i do i do think about it um sometimes um and i think about um what it would look like and actually sometimes when i'm like calculating okay like i need to finish my PhD by this time so that I'll get it before I'll get it while I'm you know 25 and then that means that I get however many years to like be a you know work in the work in the workforce and progress my career and then like I can take this time out if I want to have kids if I decide that that's something that I want to do in the future and so sometimes I do find myself like having to like Insert that into like my calculations when I'm planning, planning out my future in my head. Um, but I guess at the moment, like I'm still unsure um, <laughs> because it's early days of of how I see myself um, living my life um, and what I choose choose to do in that regard. But I do definitely, um, I do definitely see that, for instance, in research, it's quite hard. To if you want to have children, just from as a woman, just from what I've seen, um, depending on what level you are working on, working at. So, if, for instance, if you are doing like a postdoctoral research, I can imagine it being quite difficult because sometimes they just give you like um, a sum of money and they say, okay, well, we need this research done by this time, um, and if you are going away from maternity leave um I just don't I I don't know how that would work um I've not really been told how that would work but I could just imagine it being quite complicated um yeah so you're exposing um
2: an aspect of engineering which I think is very underdeveloped which is you know there you are kind of really and exciting point of your career development and you're not seeing role models Mm. because something that you've mentioned um which i think is really key is that you know i've not seen it yeah and that's exactly why we need role models because if you did see a woman um at the whittle lab or just in engineering you know completely acing her career where she deserves to be in terms of seniority and having a family mm. and that that is actually a reality that you can juggle everything then I have no doubt that you'd be like I could do that too yeah exactly So it's like maybe in engineering there's still a way to go to actually allow women to juggle every aspect of being a woman and you know still Um, climb up the career ladder within engineering and research and I've seen more and more that women in engineering not necessarily in the UK but I have seen in other countries like in Scandinavia um, that women in research and engineering research are perfectly suited to juggling both motherhood and yeah And maybe we still need to catch up in the UK. But um, it's kind of reassuring listening to you because I see someone who does do the calculations Mm -hmm. and does kind of like always have an eye on her future and maybe might come up against a bit of um, a few roadblocks simply because those roadblocks exist not because you haven't thought about it
1: yeah yeah no I agree um and that is something which does worry me uh sometimes because I think to myself wow like I've I would have spent however many years um studying um and you know getting getting myself to this to this point where I actually um I look good on paper and then, and also have the skills as well, um, and then not being able to pursue it because of because the the field isn't catering to women, uh, that would just be really disappointing. so it does um, it does worry me sometimes, and it does also give me that sense of urgency um, which can actually. Which can which can sometimes be quite negative, especially if you're doing a PhD and um, you feel like I need to hurry up, I need to hurry up, and especially if you're comparing yourself to a lot of your um, male peers and you kind of see the freedom that that they um, that they have, as in they if they wanted to they could probably take. A few years out in between and it wouldn't really affect them that much but then you feeling like you kind of have to get everything done quickly um if you want to have like a well-established career and also have children so sometimes that can be a bit um frustrating and negative um because it it makes you feel a bit anxious about about everything but um I guess a pro might be that it encourages you to work faster i don't know i think you could be the
2: change uh sorry to pile that on your to do yeah that's a lot (laughs) but i just see someone who is so um trailblazing right now in the sense that um Okay, this is going to sound really patronizing, but I really see myself in you um, in the sense that, um, but like you're so much more advanced in the sense that um, I basically have done what you aspire to do, but um, I had no focus the way you have focus and um i had no um direction the way you have direction like you talk about sort of like in my calculations and you know i i didn't do all that i i just was following what felt right whereas what i find so inspiring about talking to you is that i really get where your head is at but you have um direction right and 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 so what is so exciting about listening to you and and hearing the way you're working it all out is that um you're able to easily identify or even just by existing you're highlighting the obstacles that are in the way for women to excel in engineering because you've got everything that it takes to be amazing in engineering like from you know a uh, uh, technical point of view like you're you're there you're doing it yeah. you can excel in it but yet with all of what you have mm-hmm. there are obstacles potentially in your way that are nothing to do with you like they're not your fault yeah yeah Reason why I talk about you um being a change maker is because people can look at your journey and go, oh my gosh, she's she's gonna face obstacles that are not her fault. Let's move those obstacles <laughs> and let's create change. Yeah. Whereas with my story, like I don't have children because I was just like, I simply cannot fit this in if I'm gonna do everything I need to do. And so I ended up just missing out on having children and fitting that in simply because there wasn't time. I don't think that needs to be your story. You can be like, okay, there's an obstacle here. Can we please clear it in in <laughs> yeah. lifespan and then get what you want? Mm. That's why I'm so excited for you because you'll be able to like make change happen. And I really hope that you, um, yeah you don't ever get held back by the obstacles that exist um and that you speak up um about those obstacles so that they can be moved and you can get everything you want in life
1: yeah thank you um no that's really great advice and also really encouraging to hear from you that um you know just just how you view things. Cause I think sometimes it's really hard um, and you get stuck in your own head and you're just viewing things from, from your point of view. And it's kind of like, I need to do better. I need to get more, more focus, I need to, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but then to have um, someone who's actually been through it all and, and look at you and look at your, your journey and say to you, Oh, um, you're doing things right. Um is is really encouraging so thank you for that and also i think it's just really great being able to um just have people in in the lab as well um such as you know rob miller uh, professor rob miller um who is just really encouraging and is is also just really excited um in the research that i'm i'm doing because i think that's that's just really helpful and it also kind of puts you at ease knowing that Okay, like you are being acknowledged by by people, and and people see the hard work that you do. So hopefully these issues won't be as big for me, or hopefully these issues will be highlighted so they won't be as big for myself and, and other women to come. Um, and on an, another note as well, like there's this really great thing. It's um, that it's a great organization called Zonta International um and they do they have this fellowship called the Amelia Earhart Fellowship and Zonta International um basically gives the Amelia Earhart Fellowship to 30 is it 30 women or 35 women I've double checked I think it's I might it's one or the other um globally um, who are doing research in um, or groundbreaking research in aerospace um, engineering, and it's just like really, really great. Um, and there have been myself and a few other um, in in the history of my lab, few few other women who have gotten the um, fellowship. And I think like coming you know receiving that award and like coming into the lab with it and just being like oh like this this is what i got it gets people talking and it also gets people talking about oh like there's a fellowship for just women why is that and what are the issues what are the challenges that women are facing in, in engineering and what can we do to try and make that better and i think um a lot of the time especially with like younger generations people are really open to helping and, and bridging the gap, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, a, a few things there. First of all, um, Rob Miller is just such an amazing guy. Like, yeah, he's so enthusiastic about the Whittle Lab. I mean, it's his lab. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, Like, we met on that CDT day where it was full of women. In aerospace, like from seasoned, um, you know, experienced women in the field, like Grazia, who's also been on this series, to um young girls who are thinking about getting involved. You know, it was just like it was a woman's day, you know. That yeah. dinner at the end was just packed. It was all women. Um and So it's really uh, amazing to see how much women are encouraged into this field. Um, So that's really amazing. And it's also, you know, it's also amazing to note that Rob, even though he's a man, is like so in support and so encouraging of more um, equality in this field. So that is incredible. But also, um, I really want to thank you because in talking to you, um, even though I'm older than you, I feel like I learned so much um, listening to the way you talk about your career development, because um, you're so um, kind of clear on the path that you're trying to forge for yourself.
1: Mm.
2: And that really helps me. And I think it will really help my audience because even if we don't know our own path, just seeing someone know their path is really inspiring because you're like, wow, she's so focused. Like, I need to get focused. Like, I need to get my ducks in a row and I need to not mess around. And you know, just um, you know, it's it's there's something so beautiful about seeing someone who is trying to be. best they can be
1: oh thank you I mean um one thing as well that like I've really had to learn is uh to be less of a workaholic so um also like just having time um like for, for my friends and family and like just other important people in my life and just you know being able to like relax and do fun things as well because um I often find that, like, for me uh, to relax is just being on my laptop. So even when I'm ill, I'll just be there, like, on my laptop, like, doing work, um, even though I know that that's, like, not what it should be be like. But um, I think that for me also, like, just working in general and, like, engineering and, um, like... Yeah, just, just engineering and, and working has been a form of escapism for me in the past. So, um, you know, just kind of always seeking that like academic validation. Uh, and we could talk about that for hours um, as to why that is. But I think that also like having a healthy balance, especially if you're doing a PhD and like being able to emotionally detach from your project is really important because a lot of the time things don't go as you plan them to go, because if they did, then it wouldn't be a PhD topic, because you'd know everything there is to know about it, so you can predict exactly what's going to happen. But that um, aspect of, of like, not knowing is what makes it tricky and also can can really be difficult on, um, on your, like, mental health if you're super emotionally attached to your project. So just being able to say, okay, like the day's done the work day's done now i'm going to shut my laptop down and just think about something else is really important
2: yeah and i love the fact that you highlight that um and again like i you just take me back to those days and you know it's been a long time since i was in deep um fluid dynamics research, but I can tell you that the workaholism remains. But on that note, like one of my allies um always says to me, you know, don't be too hard on yourself for caring so much mm. about doing a good job. Um mm. because you know really early on in our conversation you mentioned like perfectionism and um is what I'm doing enough? And 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 throughout my career, I've always kind of been quite tough on myself. Going, gosh, I'm such a perfectionist. Yeah, I just I can't stop working, and um, you know I, I I push myself too hard, and all of that. And and my ally says to me, see the beauty in that. You know, it's so yeah. beautiful that you care so much about doing a good job. Like
1: mm. you know, it,
2: being hard on yourself for those character traits is the negative side of it like how about celebrating the fact that you do have like perfectionism and you do really want to work hard and you enjoy you know I've just been on a holiday with my partner for 10 days and um one of the things before the holiday I was like I'm really going to try not to work yeah and then during the holiday I realized that I get so much joy from my work. Yeah. And yeah, we did do really beautiful hikes where, you know, obviously didn't take my laptop. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was in nature and I was smelling the pine trees and, you know, and, and I, I was switching off. But I also realized on those hikes with the person that I love that um, I really love my work. And that's actually a really, really beautiful thing because mm-hmm. um, yes. everyone's like oh January you've got to go back to work I was like oh January I can't wait to start again <laughs> you no know, that's that to me is life you know if you really enjoy what you're doing so you know I, I, I find the fact that you love what you're doing really really beautiful and I'm happy for you that you <laughs> enjoy your work so much but you're also very aware That sometimes the balance can tip into areas that may not be so healthy, like that awareness is also beautiful. And you know, we should eliminate beating ourselves up over anything because, yeah, yeah, I see a very, very special individual in you. Oh, thank you, that means a lot. And I look forward to seeing what you do next because, uh, I like honestly the world is your oyster
1: oh thank you and it's been really great like being able to talk to you as well um and just also talking about my journey and about what I what I'm doing as well has also been really helpful for me um, to just like you know sometimes get your head out of the sand and think about what the bigger picture is and why it is that you're doing what you're doing because when you, do, when you make a commitment to do a PhD, it's a long-term commitment. It's not just like a, it's not just a few months, a couple of months doing this research or something. It's like years of your life that you're signing away basically and saying, I'm gonna be doing this research. So it's really um, easy to just get lost in that, but like being able to see the bigger picture and why you're doing it is really important. And I'm really grateful that I've had this opportunity to share that with you and actually think about it as well. So thank uh, you. Well, Abby, it's just been a total delight
2: <laughs> chatting with you. You are one hell of a massive inspiration, not just to me, but I'm sure yeah. to anyone watching this conversation, like you're just, uh, I'm excited. What <laughs> I'm um, I think big things are ahead. Uh, you certainly deserve it and thank you for for being such a role model you know not just to me but to to all young girls who who want to make the most of their their beautiful potential like you're doing so thank you
1: oh thank you thank you so much Thanks for
0: listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews then the more interest from those trusty algorithms which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube for my new series called Esteemed Women. It's all about self discovery and self evolution on innovation so as always be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.